0: Welcome to Canqueer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. I miss Sebastian. Now, have you been following the ongoing saga of Joseph Maldonado Passage recently? Who? <laughs> you're, you're not familiar with Joseph Maldonado Passage? I feel uh, like I feel like this
1: is the, the the like this person is more well known by another name.
0: Yeah, he almost certainly is well known by another name. That's uh, Joe Exotic, the I Tiger see. King. So, lots of people saw the Tiger King documentary. I think it's on Netflix. Right at the start of the pandemic. Oh,
1: Isn't... you know what? I have never seen it. I have no idea what you're
0: talking you about. You don't know. You don't know. You don't
1: know. I think I've you seen. You don't half.
0: know. I've seen half of the trailer if you cast your mind back to the start of the pandemic mm-hmm. where people were that for the first time locked down and everyone's like oh my god and mm-hmm. there was that sense of panic and, and apprehension and it was just the zeitgeist it was just the right thing at the right time mm-hmm. everyone needed that bit of ridiculousness to distract ourselves from the impending doom of the pandemic
1: i did read a uh quite a bit about it i just didn't particularly have enough interest to watch it like i I do remember there was one person who wanted to write an article about him on the topic of him basically just being a rich weirdo and then they looked into it and they're like he's not even that rich he's just moderately wealthy and has made strange financial decisions i.e buying a bunch of tigers so or rescuing tigers or something it's oh he did
0: all of the above
1: yeah Um, he's got a reputation for being a rich weirdo and they looked into it and it's like no no he just He's just he, weird. Yeah, he, he he makes a moderate income and just spends it in a very specific way.
0: Well, it's worth mentioning that Joe Exotic was arrested in 2018 mm-hmm. on account of hiring two different men to kill Carol Baskin yes. of the Big Cat Rescue. You may also recognize Carol Baskin from a Megan the Stallion lyric um, okay. as well. But, like, but the reason why I bring it up is because he was sentenced between 22 and 27 years in prison for eight counts of violating the Lacey Act for falsifying wildlife records, mm-hmm. nine counts of violating the Endangered Species Act, as well as hiring two people to kill Carol Baskin. <laughs> Yes. So, in addition to those, but most importantly, I think for the reason why I'm bringing it up is that the appeals court in the United States decided that 22 to 27 years was actually too long for attempting to kill one person. Okay. The previous judges had considered it as two attempts to kill two people, and it was like, and these appeals court said, no, no, no. Yeah, it was one goal, which is the death of Carol Baskin. <laughs> yes, and the fact that he tried twice is to that same one goal. Yes, if he had tried to kill Carol Baskin and a second person, then those are two counts. But the fact that he was two people doing the same person, they considered that to be one count. Although I think
1: hiring a hitman is unto itself illegal, so it would have been two counts of that and one count of attempted murder.
0: Well, it's it's the goal. It's the goal yeah. of killing Carol Basket. So essentially, um, he's not shaving off a huge amount of time here. They're going to ask it to be rejudged, and uh, it'll be somewhere between seventeen and twenty-two years. But he's expected to be in the seventies before he comes comes back out. Ooh. But yeah, just interesting little uh, um, little bit of news there. Another interesting that happened last week is uh, a couple of weeks ago, Sir Richard Branson. The owner and founder of the sort of virgin enterprise um, mm-hmm. as in virgin series of businesses not, yeah yeah the,
1: not the music and airplanes and
0: what tourism else is there? and cruises and mobile network in the uk right um, they have a oh, it's got a lot of hands in lots of uh, pies but uh, he went he met with somebody and uh in New Mexico, uh, so he, he met with somebody who wanted him to wear a rainbow pin to commemorate the Pulse massacre. Okay. In his trip into um into the edge of space that happened last week or so, and mm-hmm. he did, and it was really and it sort of generated a little bit of uh, media attention. Um, but yeah, he was uh, he had been asked to, and uh, the Orlando Ribbon Project provided him with a ribbon and uh, he was able to take it into space for me it's just good pr for sir richard branson and virgin yeah. galactic i don't know if if they meant particularly more than that but yeah. at the same time you know the orlando ribbon project and the fact that pulse um recently just became a national memorial site in the u.s it was just introduced in law um even though it's a bit trivial, it has brought it back onto some people's agendas. Like even we are now talking about the Pulse Massacre.
1: (laughs) Well, even a a cynical uh, media grab is still something because there's so many things that he could have been like, you know, he could have done a, a cynical ribbon for just about any cause. But this is the one he said yes to, which is. I don't know. It's something it's, it's not fantastic, but like he could have worn something for breast cancer or he could have worn something for, uh, save the pandas or, um, won't somebody teach koala bears how to not be bloody stupid, something mm. like that, you know, like there, there's a million things he could have done and he went with this one. So in, in the grand scheme of, of cynical posturing, I don't know. It's not nothing. It is cynical posturing, most likely, but it, it's well—you know, its not nothing. Forty years ago, people wouldn't have even done cynical posturing on this. So I don't know—that's something.
0: <laughs> so the there's another interesting news story, and then we'll we'll dive. We'll do a song, and then we'll dive into some uh, some Canadian stories. Mm-hmm. Boston Pride, as in Boston, Massachusetts. Yes, always struggle to say that. Um, they have just shut shop. Oh, all that quits. Boston Pride is like, you know what? We're done. OK, and do you want to know why? I think I heard about this, but I'm foggy on the
1: details. And for some reason, I remembered it as being Baltimore, but I might be remembering nope. this. Wrong. So, they have essentially shut
0: shop because addressing racism was too difficult. Um, I'm definitely summarizing. Yeah. But for the last uh, number of months, the Pride Board of Directors in the city of Boston have been facing ongoing and escalating complaints about how they've handled, um, you know, efforts at addressing racism within their organization and Mm -hmm. their role in the community. Um, A number of organizations have already started to boycott uh, Boston Pride. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I do
1: remember hearing about this. Uh, The the way that I had read it was part of the issue was that there were uh, multiple, I'm going to say groups. I don't want to say organizations, because when you say organization, that makes it sound a lot more organized. But there were multiple groups that had different visions of what inclusivity at Pride would look like. And Toronto had the exact same problem, where there were several different groups who wanted several different things. where did I read this? I remember this was uh, four days ago I read it, but I don't remember where. Uh, and it was no, it was one of the the blogs of one of the people who was actually on the board. And granted, like the the their reasoning was they didn't know how to balance all the demands, so they just walked away. Uh, and Toronto has been challenged by balancing all the demands by multiple different groups who have different visions of what inclusivity looks like. And really, I don't know, I. I I get it but I don't agree with it, you know? Like Toronto's vision was okay, well let's let's just do it poorly for now and we'll we'll correct course as we go along. Yeah. We're not so- going to make everyone happy. Let's try to make most people kind of content at least some of the time instead of just like, well, never mind everyone, we're going home. Uh so yeah, that that's
0: So according to the uh Pride for the People, which I think um folks sort of rallied behind the uh, trans resistance march and vigil was sort of the event the presser that sort of uh, triggered it. Mm-hmm. We weren't following this too closely, but in mm-hmm. June of 2020, 80% yes. of Boston's Pride volunteer force resigned when the Boston Pride board went in and edited a statement from the communications team to remove hashtag Black Lives Matter and uh, some other wording that was used to condemn unjust racist police violence. And uh, they did this without consulting the chair of the Black Pride or the communications team themselves. So the Pride essentially stepped in and, and edited it to remove some of this harsh language against the police bearing in mind that in 2020 the usa and canada was particularly responding to the murder of uh, george floyd and, and mm. the sort of anti-racist moment at the time yeah, yeah so they go on to say about how this caused public outrage um it was met with uh outrage over boston's persistent and ongoing neglect of issues of racism Mm. um and so on and so forth they created this march and vigil and they've encouraged people to boycott it now according to july 9th boston pride issued the following statement i will read it in full it's not that long okay for years we have volunteered our time with boston pride because we care about and are passionate about the lgbtqia plus community we strive to foster an environment of diversity and unity within our organization and community over the past 50 years, Boston Pride has facilitated programs and events that have changed our society and promoted equality, but we know there is still work to be done. Over the past year, we have invested time and energy to address the concerns of the community, both with our diversity, equity, inclusion and access work with Dorrington and Saunders, and by forming the Transformer Nation advisory committee comprised of members of the LGBTQIA community to help bring change to the organization. We're grateful for all who have been involved in the process. It is clear to us that our community needs and wants change without the involvement of Boston Pride. We have heard the concerns of the QT Bio poc community and others. We care too much to stand in the way. Therefore, Boston Pride is dissolving there'll be no further events of programming planned and the board is taking steps to close down the organization. We know many people care about Boston, uh, Pride in Boston, and we encourage them to continue the work. By making the decision to close down, we hope new leaders will emerge from the community to lead the Pride movement in Boston. This decision was made with a heavy heart out of love and hope for a better future. Now, I'm just going to zoom back here, rewind a short, uh, a short moment here. Mm. We care too much to stand in the way.
1: I think, okay. So I was in the room at the time, but I can imagine it is possible. And I've seen this kind of thing happening where an organization wants to take such a dramatic turn in their mission statement and their policies and their governance and their structure in something that the only way they can achieve that reasonably is to dissolve and reform. That kind of thing can happen in an organization. So that that would be best case scenario. the only way to make that happen in under a 10 year period. Uh, Worst case scenario is uh, this is their very polite way of saying, screw you guys, I'm going home. So I... I don't know there, there's a, a range of possibilities and there's multiple people in the
0: board. It's probably a mix of answers. Well, I mean, the entire board has stepped down here in Boston. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is uh, it seems like I mentioned earlier, the pride for the people is sort of what folks have organized in. Mm-hmm. There's been accusation that Boston pride has been not particularly welcoming to people of color uh, and black folks for many years. So they've mm-hmm. already created this counter-organization maybe shutting down Boston Pride and dissolving it will create the space for this other organization to step in. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll create a vacuum and, and it'll be a hodgepodge of what happens next. I just, I'm like, why don't you just all resign mm. and bring in new board members? You know, you don't have to kill off the organization just because that those people in the room can't lead it forward.
2: hmm
0: It's interesting. um, The coverage by Gay City News also notes that in Philadelphia, Philly Pride Presents um, also cancelled its Pride-like events Mm -hmm. um, and is abruptly ending its organization after not prioritizing, allegedly, the voices of LGBTQ individuals of color, according to the Philadelphia Gay Mm -hmm. News. But, uh, yeah, I think this sort of racial reckoning is starting to happen across North America. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and. I mean, I can understand if an organization wanted to say, you know, we are here to do one thing at a time and our one thing is pride. We're not taking on other issues as well. But Boston has a long and rich, multiple century long history of uh, state brutality against its people on a whole bunch of levels, not just the police, not just the gay community, not just the black community. They have a history of this. Um, so Boston is actually a very good candidate of someone to try to take a leadership position on figuring out how to do multiple things at once. Uh, well, so I mean,
0: yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. We're going to jump to our first track. Yeah. This is "I Don't Want to I Don't Want to Live on the Moon Without You" uh, by Nisa from the Onisa from the album Girls Like Me, and we will be back just after. Welcome back to Kangri, home of Canada's Korean media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm still Sebastian. You're still Sebastian. I am. it. Okay. All right. And it's
1: hot in here. Every I time know. we talk, I have to turn my phone, my fan off. And it's, I know.
0: Mine is off as well. It's, it's we're slowly great. heating up. It's getting a little steamy in the show, let's say. Uh, and not in a sexy way. Oh, oh, that's unfortunate. So we were talking a while back about how... Regina City was going to be among those who have um, uh, looked to ban conversion therapy. Okay. Now they were going to have uh, a vote on it. Uh, they devoted they debated the conversion ban on Wednesday. Um, it would essentially make it illegal for people to counsel others with the intent of changing the sexual orientation of gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, they heard a bunch of delegations some great coverage on this from the from the CBC. Um, so, yeah, the bylaws, according to the CBC, need three readings and votes to come mm-hmm. into effect. All three can be done in one meeting. OK, if it's unanimous. OK, OK. So it's a great way of expediting city business.
1: Not even super, well, I mean, I would back that off to super majority, but that's that's my yeah. policy <laughs> kind of stance. But anyway, yes, go on.
0: So the council voted 10 to 1 in the first two votes, and because it was not unanimous, mm. um, they now have to have a whole other sitting, which will take place in uh, on August the 11th. Um, on making this into a, a, a city bylaw. Councillor Landon Mole was the only one who voted against it in the right. 10 to 1 vote um, and essentially wants wording changes to allow some therapies to repress or reduce sexual attractions for a purpose unrelated to the uh, desire to be heterosexual. So, sexual addictions or celibacy, for example.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, I mean, I could, weirdly enough, I could see myself voting against something like this if the phrasing made me uncomfortable. And I mean, that seems to be the case here. There are a lot of laws that get passed where you read it and you're like, who the hell wrote this? you know, like the, the, if you take that one comment out, all of a sudden the whole thing makes sense and I'm, it's good, but shouldn't that have been addressed before it got to the floor like i don't know everything also actually kind of worried about like
0: according to counselor bob hawkins um there's Mm -hmm. nothing in the bylaw that prevents counseling that doesn't aim to change a person's sexual orientation
1: okay
0: so counseling about celibacy or reducing sexual urges yeah um is not currently banned and not proposed to be banned right. because you're you know not having sex is not trying to make you straight for example so anyway the uh the the right, right, right. yeah yeah the, the proposed amendment was shot down um and uh yeah now they have now folks in regina have to wait until August to uh, to move forward. What's interesting is the amount of um, unity coming from religious leaders in Regina. Mm-hmm. So forty faith leaders have signed a letter asking the city council to move forward with the ban. And uh, part of the letter reads: "Simply put, we believe that to us, LGBTQIA plus conversion efforts or practices are a form of abuse." And it goes on to say, we believe that any attempts to discourage, dis- repress, or even try to change a person's sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression mm-hmm. is harmful, especially for vulnerable 2S, LGBTQIA plus children and youth. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe, you know, there's a ton of United Church, um, Luther College, Progressive Evangelical um another United church, a fourth hmm. United church, another Lutheran church, um, but also the synagogue, the Beth Jacob synagogue was res- represented. Um, the Muslim community was represented. Hmm. Um, really, these are like a dozen different United churches that are primarily <laughs> signed on. But it was interesting that um, there was Muslim, Sikh, Christian, and Jewish leadership that came together from really pushing for this ban in Regina.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually, it's it's weirdly easy to look up census data, and I'm looking at the uh, religious distribution of Regina right now. 68% are Christian, and then, like, everyone else all put together is, like, 4% other. Um, it's kind of a, let's say it's a little pocket of uh, old Canada. Uh, but, yeah. Mm. Um, But yeah, no, this is, I I, I looked it up because I remember thinking, aren't there a ton of Quakers out there? But no, I think that might be somewhere else. Um, Yeah, no, this is, this is good. I mean, my only worry is if you ban it within a city, all you have to do is go outside the city limits. I mean, is Regina a super city? Like, how big is it across?
0: Well, this is part of an ongoing effort across the whole of Canada. In Canada, some provinces have Mm -hmm. bandits, uh, such as uh, the province of Ontario.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Other places, cities have banned it where the province has not stepped up. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit of a hodgepodge. And there is legislation sitting at the Senate, which would make it a criminal offense to, to conduct conversion therapy on uh, persons under the age of 18 right um, and to operate a business for the purposes of i think is uh part of the language um i'll need to double check that last piece but essentially the feds have introduced legislation nationally right however the senate has gone on their summer vacation yep yep so until they come back and review the legislation and then pass it and then it goes to royal assent with our shiny new governor general um you know, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a period of time that we have to wait. And, of course, if an election drops at any minute, that legislation goes into the garbage and we have to start again. So mm-hmm. the fact that Regina is taking this on actually follows a, a pretty, you know, a decade of cities and municipalities and provinces dealing with this sort of on a case by case locality, but locality basis.
1: hmm. I It actually just occurred to me, I wonder if they would get more mileage out of banning the techniques and methods of conversion therapy, because then they would just cover a whole bunch of bases but then, I don't know I'd have to look into the details. I don't know why that just occurred to me just now but yeah, I, I also acknowledge that there is sort of a symbolism here you know let's say. Regina bans it, but the rest of Alberta does not. All you need to do is go exactly one pit, footstep outside of Regina and now it's totally legal. but there's a symbolism behind it of um, you know, we, the city of Regina, don't put up with that nonsense here. Yeah, uh, and that that goes a long way. if anything else, for the the comfort of the people living there. Um, I would like for it to be a little bit more extensive than that. <laughs> But, but they, uh, that would
0: fall on the province of Saskatchewan to figure out and, and to roll out province wide. Hmm. Um, I just want to clarify that Regina is in Saskatchewan for our uh, CJTR listeners. Did I say probably, Alberta? You said Alberta. What? Yeah. Sorry, Shame yeah. <laughs> on you. Shame on you. Sorry, we're you know, broadcasting Regina. Like this is, there are folks listening to us in Regina. But I will say this.
1: Do you know who is a hero of Regina? Brian Reynolds? Le- Leslie Nielsen?
0: Okay, not who I thought you were going to say.
1: Yeah, he he was born there. Actually, I rewatched an old Leslie Nielsen movie recently. I looked up pictures of him when he was young. And good Lord, he was handsome when he was young. He was like 1950s, hunky, starlet, handsome. Very specific type of handsome, but oh, oh, good Lord, Regina. You're, you're pumping out the good ones.
0: So, um, I want to move on. We did hear a story about a pride flag that was torn down and ripped uh, from a food cart, I believe, in PEI, Prince Edward Island.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I want what I want to st- uh, cover in today's show is actually another story by the CBC about how the John Howard Society of PEI is working alongside Pride PEI, right. um, on their pardon project. Um, so, so as who's-
1: John Howard's say, let's start there. Who are they and what do they do?
0: Well, the Pride PEI is we've talked to them about them before. Okay. And uh, they have run the Pride organized, you know, the Pride events. We mentioned them last week about mm-hmm. how uh, they've sort of decentralized Pride in PEI over the past week. 40 plus okay. events. I think I mentioned there was a trivia night and a drag show and workshops. I was actually right. really impressed with how Pride PEI uh, took that approach. The John Howard Society is an organization that's been working to find effective responses to the criminal justice system, prison reform, um, and so on and so forth. I thought you would have been familiar with the John Howard Society. I, they also exist in the UK, I believe. Um, but yeah, they're really connected yeah. to addressing non-pro- um, the, the criminal justice system. Anyway, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, the federal government uh, introduced an act, the Expungement of Historically Unjust Convictions Act in 2018, and the expunging Mm -hmm. of these uh, convictions for things like sodomy um, and so on and so forth, uh, gross indecency, buggery, anal intercourse, Mm. um, accusations for essentially consensual sex mm-hmm. between same-sex couples, mm-hmm. um, the expungement would essentially make these records disappear like they never happened in the first place. Right. Um, what the the, what the John Howard Society and Pride PEI have noticed is that of the 9,000-plus historical records that the RCMP has, there are very few records that show that any of these have been requested to be expunged. Mm-hmm. So there are a presumably around nine thousand people who are sitting with these historical records, these historical criminal records, right, uh, which may come up in a criminal record check, or you know if you're trying to access certain types of employment, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, who aren't who aren't getting them expunged, right? So yeah, yeah. essentially, they're just saying, like, look, this is available, and we are available to help you make use of it and mm-hmm. uh, and clear that old record okay i hope they
1: the records do persist as historical records and not legal records because uh i wouldn't want for the details of this history to get lost so like there was a there was a story that came out uh, about a year and a half ago of a science journal that uh was asked to delete a letter to the editor from its history and this is from like the late 1800s and it was basically this this woman had passed away and somebody wrote the obit for her basically saying like it's a pity she wasted her life with science instead of homemaking and a lot of people and, and i don't remember like it wasn't it was like a mary curie type like somebody who like dedicated her life to science and literally died in the pursuit because she was handling dangerous uh equipment and people wanted it expunged. And you had a whole bunch of other people saying like, no, this is part of the history. We cannot erase this. We need to know what happened. And we need we need to keep the receipts. We need to be able to look it up. In this case, what I'm hoping is that I hope these are unlinked from the legal systems that the records still exist, but as historical documents. And it's nothing that anyone can look up because it's none of their business. Mm. But it, this is more about, you know, the, the court system that administered the records and not about the people that it was placed against
0: this also isn't the far gone past no yeah
1: think, it's like the 80s in some cases
0: yeah i think yeah. what the what Canadians are grappling now with this idea of us being an incredibly amazing tolerant society and the fact that there are people alive who mm. were thrown in jail for mm-hmm. buggery mm-hmm. you know um, you know, the residential school system is a perfect example of that, something yep. that, that was sort of in our mind's eye as being really far away, but mm-hmm. actually was pretty recent. And people are very much alive with the memory of that. Yep. So if anyone listening to the show, you know, way back when in the 80s, 90s or 70s or whatever it was, got done for, you know, uh, buggery or, or whatever the, it may have been called at the time. Go and check out the John Howard Society where you are and see what uh, expungement is possible because you may have been caught up in this uh, in this trap. Our last story from Canada. I want to talk... You know how much I like a good document? Mm-hmm. I love a good document and uh, noted and I will just send it to you. I want to share oh, with you with a this. report from the Yukon government um, and they spent a few years... To consult with the LGBTQ2S community. And they've released a five year action plan um, with, like, I think it's 90 odd recommendations. And, you know, this sounds towering and immense and and just too much. But the way they have laid it out Mm -hmm. chef's kiss. Beautiful. Oh, as a document, it says everything you need to know, quick and easy beautiful so i'm just yeah. gonna read two off the top
1: i mean i was um, gonna say like i also love a good document but i tend to hate action plans because they just tend to be a load of wank but yeah let's let's uh, i'm gonna
0: i'm gonna skip to i'm, gonna I'm looking it. at page 14 here okay. and uh, this one relates to health and they say what will we do Ooh. improve access to supportive mental health and wellness services for lgbtq 2s su corners that's their goal improve access how will we do it and then in the first year bullet point boom fund access to mental health wellness services next bullet point boom communicate pathways to clinical counseling and it goes on what are we doing in the next two years bullet point you know, provide the appropriate level of training for mental health professionals. Next five, you know, next five years, and there's four bullet points there. It's just mm-hmm. fantastic. It's really, you look at it and you're like, okay, this is how they're moving forward, and uh, and and how I can see myself in that path. Like on the education piece, they've got provide education and training for teachers and school administrators on cultural competency. And it says in the next year, for example, collaborate with the Yukon Teachers Association on how SOGI training can be included as part of professional development. That's yeah, a that's really actionable item.
1: Something actually that I was going to comment on was that they use the term SOGI throughout the uh, the document. SOGI being a contra- uh, not a contraction. I don't know. It's
0: used by the United Acronym. Nations because yep. LGBTQ2IS GLBT. BLT kfc gets a yeah. bit wordy, but. Well, um... it,
1: it's also very Western because there are places in the world that like, you know, we don't really have lesbian or gay identities here. We have something else. So Sogi is just sexual orientation, gender identity. Yeah. Uh, which just covers all your bases because like, you know, next year, if, something emerges and and now there's some like i don't know rare samoan gender identity that gets front forward because some famous athlete uh, identifies as that you know we got it covered it's still soggy so yeah. job done you know that that's it for now on and i love it because it's like you know it's future proof and i love things that are future proof
0: well at the ncra we call it gsm gender and sexual minorities if you're also not if, if you're not in the majority you're one of us Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> <And that's, laughs> it's really easy to find out if you're in the majority or not yeah all right well jumping to our next song by claire Tweedy. this is tethered down it's the jacob hoskins remix and Mm -hmm. uh we will be back just after this
3: and nothing, filling an empty base with echoes everyone is saying
0: Welcome back to cancrea home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, that was Claire Twitty's Tethered Down. Now, the last Canadian story, I totally forgot about this one, but this story has caused some eyebrow raising. Um, I think we may fall on two different sides of this argument. The okay. CBC reported recently that the Merchants Association in Montreal, in the village, are mm-hmm. uh, looking to reimagine Montreal's gay village in a post-pandemic world. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you also saw the the same the same uh, article that I I shared with you earlier,
1: and now, I read a bunch of stuff in French that. You could not read
0: that I could not read in French. (laughs) Um, what I find interesting is they're looking a lot of businesses had to adapt. You Mm -hmm. couldn't go to the sweaty nightclubs, you couldn't be in overcrowded um, um, strip clubs. You, yeah, there's a lot of things that really make Rousseau Canterne, um, that uh just weren't able to run. You actually don't have to call it Rue Saint Catherine, even in French, they call
1: it Saint Catherine Street. <laughs> okay. So, uh just St. Catherine's is fine.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, that's good to know. But yeah, it's so St. Catherine Street um has had to adapt. Some businesses, you know, moved over some of their underwear underwear lines to make some room for some daywear lines, mm-hmm. just to ver, ver, you know diversify their business and diversify, sorry, uh the business and make ends meet. And yeah. you know, I accept that, but oh, I yeah. wonder. If by trying to bring in more "quote family friendly businesses" end quote, mm. and by the fact that some of these other businesses have had to, you know, cut back on the sports lines and introduced daywear, mm-hmm. is is the pandemic sort of accelerating the push to a family friendly uh, village? Because Montreal is the capital of fun in Canada. It is it kind the, of
1: is, yeah. <laughs> it is the sex
0: capital of Canada. It is the nightclub capital of Canada. It is the the heart of culture of Canada. Mm-hmm. Is is really Montreal. Um, and uh, I I we are this week sponsored by the city of Montreal. I'm just when I when sponsored by the city of Montreal. But you know, in, in many cases, it does win out over Toronto. Um, and Vancouver and, and other urban areas. There are because, way yeah. more
1: male strippers in Montreal. They're yeah. known for their male strippers.
0: Yeah. yeah. So what do you think? I'm worried that this is gentrification. Yeah. This is making it more palatable, which means that the sort of seedy underbelly, which is what I think it's been known for in the past, um, is getting a bit of a clean. I don't think it'll ever... Well, I mean... I... I would have said that
1: about Church Street in Toronto, that you could never truly get rid of the CD underbelly, but they've succeeded at that. So I think, okay, uh, one of the concerns uh, is that uh, the village in Montreal was not really a living neighborhood for quite some time. There were a lot of boarded up storefronts. So last time I went there, uh, maybe something like one in three storefronts were either just moving in, just moving out, or boarded up. There were a lot of empty storefronts and if you live in the area and you want to get your well i was about to say want to get your haircut but if there's one thing you can do in montreal in the gay village it's get your haircut if you wanted to to send a package um and you wanted to go to like a ups storefront or like you know a shopper's drug mart that has like a post office in the back or something like that you'd probably have to leave the village and actually go outside of it Uh, you know, they didn't really have any florists. Uh, Quebec is still on that kind of old model where you go to the cheese shop for your cheese and the bread shop for your bread and the cake shop for your cake. And you only go to the grocery store if it's not important. You know, like the kind of cheese you put in a sandwich versus the kind of cheese you put on a cheese board. You know, you you go to the cheese shop for the the good stuff and people do that still. Some people still go to a dairy to get their cream. Um, And you can't really do that in the village. All they have is a metro. So the idea of revitalizing the village into a living breathing community that the people there can actually live in and have most of their lives accomplished except for work you know leaving the area to go to work unless of course you also work in the area i think that's a potential good thing and when you're saying family friendly like family friendly does not have to mean that you hide the quick release kink gear Um, Maybe you put that at the back of the store instead of in the the, the window, but you don't necessarily have to get rid of it. But what it does mean to me, at least, and this is me being optimistic, is, um, you know, there's nowhere to get a lamp uh, in the village. Uh, Not that I know of anyway. And uh, and if you want to get a shoe that is not in any way a fetish, you just want a shoe. Uh, (laughs) There's no particular place to get that either. Uh, you can get thigh high socks, the, the the kink kind, and you can also get business socks. But if you want something in between, like just cozy, hanging around the house socks, you can't really get that. So you know your kind of daily needs and your 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 day to day wants and needs, being somebody who lives in a major city, are kind of hard to fulfill when you're living in the village. And and revitalizing the area to get those storefronts filled to support everywhere else, because there is no shortage of. You know, places to get lube or jock straps if you're in the village. Uh, plenty of restaurants as well. Uh, a lot of gluten-free free options, too. I was very happy when I was there my, there.
0: my worry, though, is when they're pushing towards families and tourists, you know, I understand about creating a living environment where people in the area can actually get their flowers, their baked goods, their dairy, and so on and so forth. Mm. But, like, if condo prices are through the roof, if it's too expensive to live Mm. anywhere near the village, then are they really serving Mm. locals, you know, if if locals can't really afford to live there? Um, And are they chasing tourist dollars? You know what I mean? I I wonder if it's going to be just a gentrified tourist trap.
1: So you think it'll have like the Venice problem, where nobody lives in Venice anymore because no one can afford to live in Venice because it's all just hotels. I think it's going to
0: have a Church Street problem. Mm. Is what I think is going to happen. It's going to become so sort of impractical to live there that th- those businesses rely on tourism, and and uh, it'll 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 sort of clean out the streets. Now the merchants' association claim that's obviously not the plan. Um, they just yeah. want to fill the empty storefronts as noted. They we're very excited by a, a queer woman who wants to be a florist in the area. And don't get me wrong, if if what they're aiming for is to paint, the, paint this picture of diverse business owners who are queer in some way, yeah. filling the street in like this sort of really gay area, this sort of queer area, I'm yeah, all yeah, for yeah. that. Um, I just worry that the push to be a tourist-friendly, family-friendly That has to be very carefully navigated against the city and that street's national role in terms of how it's sort of, you know, represented and, and being used.
1: You know, last time I went to the village in Toronto, I did not see two drag queens in an alleyway trying to beat each other up. And I knew that the village had basically died, that there's this sort of like seediness that you kind of want to see in order for the village to truly be the village otherwise it's just Disneyland like I think your fear is that it's going to turn into Times Square New York like everything that makes it fun and interesting is going to get Disneyfied and I am not going to say that I don't also have that worry but I also know that uh the French my people are stubborn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I think they'll probably try to find a way to thread that needle and make it happen where they can keep those rough edges um, while, you know, save your identity while also saving the community. Mm-hmm. So y- you do need to split that that difference to some degree. So,
0: yeah, I mean, it'll, we'll have to keep an eye out and see sort of what it, what it boils down to.
2: Yeah, so... Um,
0: yeah, so that's, okay, that didn't help me. All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll jump to our last story of the day, um, which is going to be about Hungary and Poland. Um, yeah, Hungary and Poland. And the reason why, we mentioned last week as we covered these stories that the European Parliament voted overwhelmingly uh, to ask the Commission to make some moves yeah. and, and uh, hold Hungary... And Poland accountable. There mm. is a great video by TLDR News, uh, TLDR being the acronym too long, don't read, mm. uh, or didn't read, but they yep. are just TLDR News, where they looked at the Hungarian law. And what I didn't know was that it actually started from a scandal where a uh, Hungarian ambassador was uh, accused of paedophilia and uh, possession of child pornography and. And the, the most serious offences but was just fined 1,500 euros. Like, the legal system in Hungary mm. was really just not up to scratch to hold this uh, pedophilic ambassador accountable. Yeah,
1: but that sounds more like the corruption of the powerful and less to do with actual gay rights. But it looks like they, they so, took what should have been a good story and yeah, spun it yeah, off into yeah, the track.
0: They wrote legislation to really, you know, crack down on paedophilia and to, you know, introduce uh, firmer uh, um, consequences for it. That was what the legislation was aimed to do. Okay. Um, however, multiple MPs in the Hungarian parliament kept adding and adding and adding. And the consequence oh. of that is that uh, you can no longer, uh, you know, it's, well, actually, I have it here. The particular law prohibits or limits access to content that promotes or portrays so-called, quote, divergence from self-identity corresponding to sex at birth, sex change, or homosexuality for uh, for individuals under the age of 18. So that got tacked in. That was never the goal of the legislation. The goal was to deal with this scandal with a pedophilic ambassador. Uh. Now, the commission took a look at this and... uh, They've brought receipts, okay. which, which I just love. You know how we love when, when judges write legal decisions and they're just on mm-hmm. TV. Um, so the commission went through and looked at all of the ways that Hungary is actually breaching European law. Mm-hmm. And Hungary has uh, signed on to all of these conventions. They voluntarily incorporated all these conventions into their own law. Mm-hmm. And they include. The Audiovisual Media Services Directive, uh, which prevents or which allows for the free provision of cross-border audiovisual media services. So essentially by you prohibiting exposure of gay people, you're in breach of this act. The e-commerce directive uh, with the country of origin principle, essentially same idea, you're prohibiting this, which means you breach that. Um, The Commission also considers that Hungary has violated the treaty principles of freedom to provide services, Article 56, and the free movement of goods, Article 34, by failing to demonstrate that the restrictions are duly justified, non-discriminatory, and proportionate. They also are in breach of the Data Protection Act, the Article 8 of the Charter, Articles 1, 7, 11 and 21 of the European Charter of Fundamental Rights and uh, Article 2 of the TEU, the Treaty of the European Union. So what I just found fantastic about this, it also has the Single Market Transparency Directive. They went and they looked through the books, all of the laws that Hungary has signed on to Mm. and quite clearly pointed out Insert list here of all of the European laws that Hungary agrees to that this law breaches. OK, yes. So they, uh, Hungary and Poland, because they did a similar exercise with Poland over their free speech areas, uh, they've been given two months to reply and explain to the European Union how this law does not breach you know, that dozen different charter uh, articles, yeah, yeah, yeah. several directives. So we'll see how it goes. But this is a major step by the European Commission, and it is a major legal step. And it might it might turn the tide on these uh, anti-gay legislations coming up in Europe, because they're not holding the punches on this one. Okay. Well, we have ran out of time. There were a couple of other stories that we just didn't get, uh, get round to today. We are playing out with Just the Right Bullets by Annabelle Chustick and a great artist. I'm a huge fan. Mm -hmm. I've been Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And thank you for listening. There's a light in
3: the forest There's a face in the tree I'll pull you out of the chorus And the first one Never go a-hunting With just a flintlock and a hound You won't go home with a bunting If you blow a hundred rounds It takes much more than wild courage Or you'll hit the tattered clouds You must have just the right bullets And the first one's always free You must be careful in the forest Broken glass and rusty names If you're to bring back something for us I have bullets for sale Is a small price to pay They'll be your private little fishes And they'll never swim away I just want you to be happy That's my only little wish I'll fix your wagon and your musket And the spoon will have its dish, and I shudder at the thought of your poor empty hunter's pouch, so I'll keep the wind from your barrel and bless the roof of your house.